Well, did you catch the lyrics to the song? Hope found, change break, Jesus here and now. We wanted to welcome you to our food truck rally, but the song we just sung is really one of the special reasons that today is special for us. You may not know this if you're our guest. If you call the church home, you probably do, but today marks 14 years for us. Uh, 14 years ago on this Sunday, we started at what was called the Rave Theater, and God has shown up and done exactly what we were just singing. God showed us His glory. That's just a biblical word for meaning God shined, God showed up, God showed off by breaking chains in people's lives, by taking fear and making it go away, by bringing hope, and He's done it over and over and over again. And just a moment, we're going to start a message series called God, Family, and Hustle, the intersection where God meets our family and the urgency to engage God right in that place. But I thought we could begin with a prayer, a prayer that acknowledges what God has done and looks forward to what he's going to do. And yeah, we're going to have some great food today. We're going to hear a message. But really what we do is we get the awesome privilege to sit in front of a God who's perfectly perfect while he deals with our perfect imperfection. <laughs> That's who we are. So would you bow with me right now and let's pray. Father, thank you that you have been consistently faithful that your grace is still new and available. None of us has used up our supply. You are available and you show up and you show off consistently. God, for 14 years, I've had a front row seat to see you work in my family and in the families of this church. I've seen you literally break chains. I've seen you bring hope. I've seen you shine bright through the lives of people in this church. And I'm so grateful. I'm grateful for the men and women who have stepped up to be a part of what you're doing. But God, today, my hope is not in the past. My hope and my joy is looking forward to what you're going to continue to do. We celebrate 14 years, but we look forward to all that you'll do this year, the year after, and the years to come. Not just in our church, but in our homes, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, one more time, we are so glad you're here. And I have a simple question for you. Ever noticed, have you ever noticed that you're only as happy as your relationships? I mean, things can be going really well in every area of your life, but if your relationships aren't right, if they're not going well, there's just something off and it tends to bleed back and affect every area. Somebody told me years ago when I started having kids, Jill and I have 11, 20 kids and um, we have four kids. It just feels like we're heavily outnumbered. And, uh, and so somebody told me years ago that you're only as a parent as happy as your least happy child. I don't know if that's true or not, but I've certainly lived through some of that. And in the life of this church, when we started it, we wanted to create a place where families could come and, and focus on God and receive what God had for them, and I wanted that for everybody we started this church for, and I wanted it to be honest, totally transparent. I wanted it for me. I wanted all that God had for me in my life, and so every year we spend some time, at least one message series, very often two, and we focus on family dynamics. What's going to happen in your family is largely a function of what you allow in, what you give yourself time to, what you think about, and what you pray about. And so twice a year, we focus on this subject so that we can just do a quick gut check. Is it going well? If it continues the way it is, is that going to put you in a place where you want to be? Are there some changes you can make today so that your tomorrow is better? 
And so we focus on this stuff about this time of year. Folks have gone back to school. We, we get together and we gather in small groups. When you came in, you probably got a catalog that looks like this. It's got a lot of stuff going on in the life of our church. And it wouldn't surprise you to know that a lot of those have to do with family connections. We want to put you in groups that encourage you along your journey so that your life and vibrancy with God grows and that the vitality in your family grows as well. Because I think it's true. You're only as really content and feeling awesome about life to the degree that your relationships are going awesomely. And you can't really look at somebody's external life and know what's happening going on on the inside, can you? So, for instance, here's a picture taken a few uh, weeks ago. My family and I were on vacation, and we're right outside of Estes Park, Colorado, which is a wonderful place to be. And we've just hiked several miles back to three hidden lakes. And this is, there's some guy standing on a rock in front of us taking a picture there. And here, here's another photo as well. This is on the trail there. And we're just smiling, right? So this is what we put on Facebook. Yeah, you're chuckling because um, you know that not everything makes it on Facebook. So about 24 hours after this picture was taken, we didn't take any pictures. We're standing in the middle of Estes Park downtown, and we're shopping. That's what we're supposed to be doing, but we're not. What we look like is a family huddled around the little sidewalks having a discussion about which store to go into, but that is not what we were talking about. We were having a family fight right in the middle of Estes Park on vacation. Now, let me just paint the picture for you here. Um, We've spent hundreds of dollars We've set aside a significant amount of time. This is vacation. We're standing in one of the most beautiful places on God's green earth, and we're fighting. As if anybody ever done anything like that? Now, from the outside, you probably couldn't tell it unless you got really close, and you could tell our words had just a little extra shortness to them. Uh, you could tell from the look on our face and maybe some clenched you know, teeth a little bit here and there, and... We had this discussion. Here's, here's, what I heard, here's what I heard myself say. I will send you home. I will put you on a plane right now. And I, now we're two days into a two and a half week vacation. And I'm thinking I'm about to bring the whole thing down right now. Yeah, because here we are in the best place in the world. We've sat out all this time. We spent all this money to make it happen. But you're only as content. You're only having as good a time as the people around you. And that's why as a church we focus so often on our, on our families. And, and I don't know if you know it or not, but, but God wants to work in your family. There's, there's a couple of things God wants to do, all right? So he wants, for instance, your family to be a place of, of love and acceptance, a place where your value is reinforced. Your value is an individual, a person made in the image of God. And he wants your family to be a place where it's safe to explore a little bit what it means to engage this world, knowing that you're going to bump up against some rough edges, but you can come home and that's a safe place to heal up where people are going to love you and affirm you. But the truth is, is most of us have been alive enough to know that our families don't always give us all that God wants them to give us. And some of us today, we come into this room and our family of origin, well, the words I just tried to describe, how God wants to work on a family, they don't really match our experience hardly at all. And it wouldn't be surprising to me if some of you, even on the way to church this morning, you had one of those family arguments. You know, Jill and I figured out how to never have an argument on the way to church anymore. Let me tell you how we did it. It help a lot of you guys. We drive different cars. Uh, we come at different times. We do, seriously. And, uh, and so we never fight on the way to church. But it wouldn't surprise me if even on the way here, there was a, that's just the nature of relationships. And in this series, 
we're going to take some time and we're going to explore some of the dynamics of family and relationships. We'll talk a little bit about marriage and parenting. and It'll apply to friendships, dating relationships, all that stuff. But, but here's why. We want God's heart for our families to have a chance to grow and thrive. For some of us, it'll be the first time that happens. For others, we'll be calling ourselves back to a place where God's agenda begins to take center stage in our life. Here's the simple premise. We, we believe that God's wisdom lived out under the umbrella of God's grace will just make a difference in your life. And so we want you to be totally transparent. If you're our guest, I want to like reveal all my cards to you. We want you in a growing relationship with Jesus. And we want you in a growing relationship with people who can encourage you on your growing relationship with Jesus. Like we want a relationship with God. We want you to have a relationship with people. And we want to do all we can to help make that a reality for you. Because again, typically for most of us, our lives only in the moment feel about as vibrant and alive and enjoyable as the quality of the relationships that we're in in that season of life. Now, the challenge is, is that we live in a world that doesn't always lend itself to healthy, vibrant, growing relationships. It doesn't. In fact, sometimes it seems like the very forces of this world are stacked against your success in your marriage, in your parenting, in your friendships. In fact, the Bible says it this way, and you know, it's church, so give me just a little bit of latitude here to go spiritual on you for a second. The Bible says it this way, that you have a God who loves you, but you have an enemy who hates you, and his plan is to kill, steal, and destroy. And everything good that God wants for you, this other guy wants just the opposite. And this other guy has a certain reign in the world that we live, and so the Bible talks a lot about the world's way of doing things versus God's way of doing things. This language shows up throughout our Bible. There's a way God wants you to go, and there's a way that the world kind of encourages and entices you to go. And they're different. In one path, the Bible says God's way leads to life and peace and joy and, and all the stuff that deep down we want. But the world's way seems to promise those things, joy and happiness and peace. But at the end, what they really bring you to is, well, the word it's used is destruction. And sometimes it's hard to determine in your own head, in your own heart, and whatever, wherever it is you make your decisions, sometimes it's hard to determine which way is really the way you want to go. So the writers of the Bible, it wouldn't surprise you, have to deal with this and encourage people to go strongly after God. So for instance, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, God uses him to write letters to churches at various cities. And in one of the letters to the church at Corinth, he writes to what we call the Corinthians, the people in Corinth, and he uses a phrase that we're going to use throughout this message series as we try to encourage ourselves and encourage one another to follow God's way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 25, he says this. He says, the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. That when we go after God, the wisdom there is the wisest wisdom. When we go after God, the strength available to us is the strongest strength. And this stands in stark contrast to the wisdom and the strength that the world offers. How God measures wisdom is different than how the world offers. How God measures strength is different than how the world offers. And we are going to find ourselves regularly pulled between really two polar opposites. And the testimony of the Bible in Honestly, the testimony of a lot of people in this room would be that to the degree to which we give in to God's agenda in our lives is the degree that real peace and joy and happiness comes. 
Now, it wasn't only in Corinthians. There were many places in the Bible where Paul talks about a, a good way versus a bad way. Like a good way with God to do family and life and find meaning and ultimate the truest definition of success. And the bad way that offers hints at those things, but never fully delivers on success and joy and lasting peace and vibrant life-giving relationships. And so in Corinthians, he writes about it. There's language about it in Ephesians. And the biggest one, perhaps, is in the book of Romans, where this distinction between God's way and the way of the world, this way that leads to life and the way that leads to death, is kind of laid out for us. And it's some of the most stark language in all the Bible. In fact, the, 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 the truth is, is the very passage we're going to look at today, in some places, like it's actually a crime to read this passage. That's not an exaggeration. Because of the way it talks about the way the world promises some stuff and what happens when you go that way and its ultimate end and the kind of the way God offers stuff and the tendency in all of us, here, here's the thing, to not just find ourselves torn between the two, but the tendency in all of us, it's certainly been true in me, to actually find myself interestingly attracted to this side over here. And sometimes I don't even know I'm attracted to it. And other times I kind of know I'm attracted to it. And I even have like yellow lights, you know, in my car telling me slow down because but I still go towards this side over here. We believe as a church, we believe the Bible reveals, we believe the heart of God is this, that, that if you'll go after God's way, and you'll reject this way, this other way, that life will just go better for you. And just to kind of zero down on that point, we're going to spend just a few minutes talking about this way, just to kind of show its ugliness for just a second and its deceptiveness. But we're going to spend a lot more time talking about this way. We're going to talk about this way because this is the way ultimately that leads to life. This is the way that ultimately sends Jesus to the earth, God's one and only son, the Bible says. And he gives his life for us so that we can have life with God, all right? So Paul writes about this disconnect in 1 Corinthians. He writes about it in the uh, New Testament book of Romans. It's there in part for you on the screen, Romans chapter 1, verse 22. I think you can follow along. Here's what it says. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. This is Paul talking about the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God, our tendency to go for the wisdom of the world. And when we do that, he says, really, we show ourselves foolish. And instead of worshiping the glorious and ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So we have the option of going one way, but instead we turn towards the way of the world. We don't worship the true God, but we fashion little gods that look like birds and animals, the world we live in. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their heart desired. As a result, they did violent, degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served things God created instead of the creator who is worthy of eternal praise. And then Paul must have been a Baptist or a Pentecostal because he just gets himself worked up and he ends it with a good solid amen right there. That's what happens. All right. The Catholics have no idea what I'm talking about. It's all right. About 60% of us are Catholic. You're in the right place. All right. So Paul goes on to write about this disconnect. And I just want to kind of lay the language out there because for Paul, in writing to the Corinthian church, to the Romans in Rome, the Roman church, and to us today through the language of the Bible, he wants us to see the darkness of this path so that this path looks even lighter for us. He, he wants us to think through the challenge of going with our own wisdom 
And ultimately, hopefully rejecting that and going after the wisdom of God. To believe that this is the path of life and ultimately this is the path that really is not going to give us what deep down we all really, really want. And it shows up in virtually every area of life. And it really shows up in our families. So over the next few weeks, we'll drill down and we'll try to discover some of God's practical wisdom and the strength that we have through Christ and our relationship with Jesus to get all the deep down we really want in our relationships, the things you want in your marriage, the things you want in your parenting and in your friendships, the things that when you come to the final days of your life and you reflect back on it, the things that you want to be adjectives and descriptors of your life are found over here. But this is always going to be present. So Paul continues to write in Romans chapter 1, verse 26, not on your screen. You can just listen. You can write it down and can follow, can follow along. Romans chapter 1, he says, because of this, because of this tendency to exchange the truth for a lie, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Here's how ugly it can get when you don't follow God's way. Even the women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust one for another. And men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty of their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over again, let them do what they want to do, to a depraved mind, so they would not do what ought, so they would do what ought not be done. And they have become filled with every kind of wickedness. And then look at this list. And unfortunately, friends, I've lived some of this list. Like I, I'm preaching not just from some head knowledge today. I've walked this other side of the road on occasion. So they're filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips and slanderers. They're God-haters. They're insolent. They're arrogant. They're boastful. They invent ways to do evil, and they disobey their parents. And so this path over here is described with the most stark, direct language, not because God hates people, but because his way of life is so opposite of that, he wants to make it crystal clear in hopes that we would choose for ourselves this way. The choice is before, as he says, and sometimes, and I've been here, instead of choosing God's way, we choose the other way. And that path worked out over time in our life doesn't take us where we want to go. It shows up in all kinds of brokenness. But this path over here ultimately leads to life. The challenge is, is that to follow this path over here is going to cost you some stuff. And I want to be perfectly clear what it doesn't cost you. The Bible makes it clear that our relationship with God doesn't cost you anything. There's no amount of being good. There's no amount of trying to do the right thing. There's no amount of trying and choosing wisdom that puts you in a relationship with God. The, the one cool thing about God is God said this choice is going to be for us, but the biggest part of the choice making he's going to do, he's going to actually offer us a relationship with himself through Jesus. And it won't be based on anything you do. It won't be based on choices you make. It won't be based on anything other than your receiving the gift that he's so freely given. That's what it's going to take. And he's going to pay the biggest price. And then after that, and here's sometimes where I think we miss it. After we receive the free gift of Jesus, the gift keeps on giving. It keeps on giving. It's that Jesus calls us into a relationship where he begins to not just save our soul, send us to heaven ultimately, but he begins to work on our lives here and now. He begins to grow us and mold us and shape us. There's so a lot of ways we can describe that. Sometimes around here we talk about the development that God wants to do in us. It's just a simple acknowledgement that you're not all you need to be and there's some growth to happen. 
Uh, sometimes we'll use a more technically biblical term and we'll call it discipleship. This is where God takes immature G- followers of Jesus. They're going to heaven, but they're immature. They're not, and he begins to work on them. And so in the pages of the Bible, there's wisdom for disciples to walk in the path that God wants us to walk. And sometimes I've been a very good disciple and I walked over here. And other times I've been a really bad disciple and I walked over here. I'm still a disciple. In this series, we're going to look at how discipleship and development and growth, what it looks like in a family, in your parenting, in your relationships. And while your salvation was free and it didn't cost you anything to grow as a disciple, now that's going to cost you a little bit. It's going to require some effort on your part. You're going to have to rearrange some things. You're going to have to think more deeply on occasion. You're going to have to deal with some stuff. There's some effort for growth. You know how that works, right? I mean, some of you in the room, like you made a decision at some point in your life that you were going to get a little bit more fit. And the decision was easy. Didn't cost you anything. But after that, you had to get up and make it happen. And that cost a little bit. A little bit of effort, a little bit of energy. Some of you made a decision. There was some dysfunction in a relationship. And and the realization of that, to get to that point, was painful. But the realization of that didn't cost you a lot. But now to put into place the boundaries that you need and the better way of engaging people, that cost you a little bit. Here's the cool thing about God. In all that we're going to talk about, what God is implying is, is not only will he show you wisdom, but he will actually walk with you through your efforts to live the path that he has for you. And he'll use everything in your life, including your family of origin, the family you're in, your work relationship, your friends, to help mold and shape you, not just into the person he wants you to be. That's true. That's good enough. But actually, if you'll think deeply into the person you deep down really want to be yourself, he actually comes alongside you to make your deepest dreams a reality. You know how you think about who I really, really want to be? Like there's the shallow side of me that on occasion just wants a few things. I'm over here on the dark side. Ooh, I'd like that. That'd be nice. That'd be a great experience. I'd like to have one more notch on the belt for that category. There's a part of me that wants that. But when I, when I step back and I really think about what I really want, there's nothing on this side really, once I think deeply about it, that really has the attraction and pull that this side has. In, in my family, I'm a part of a family that's life-giving and encouraging. And when we make mistakes, we rally and we want to be around each other. And we speak encouraging words. And when truth is spoken, it's spoken in love. And when we hurt each other, we forgive. And it's not temporary. There's a certain sense of, certain sense of permanence in what we have. And we really listen to each other. And we understand each other. Now over here, the other side of the edge is, I just really want what I want. Anybody else? Anybody else sometimes find you just want what you, real, what you want when you want it? That's that it. But over here is where really I want to be. You can pick any category of life when it comes to money. Like, I just like stuff. I do. You know why? Because stuff tends to make me happy. I know they say that money doesn't buy happiness, but I just want to offer you this. I've never seen somebody crying while riding a jet ski. Never. I just like stuff. So when I think about it, I just want stuff. It's not wrong, but sometimes like I really want stuff. But when I really, really think about it, I don't want stuff to have a hold on me. I don't want to define my life by my stuff. I don't want to accumulate stuff. I want to accumulate things that last more than stuff lasts. But that requires a certain amount of effort. 
So let's walk through three indicators of the bad way, right there in your message notes, all right? Here's how you know. Here's what's happened. Here's what God is in the bad place. Number one, we gave up on God's wisdom and we settled for the world's ways. So the biblical writers have to write to disciples all the time and say this, look, so in Romans chapter 12, for instance, don't be so well adjusted to your culture, the world's ways, that you fit into it without even thinking about it. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Here's what I know about you. You will do family exactly as family was done to you unless you think about it and make some changes. You're going to be just like your parents. I used to say all the time to myself, I'll never be like my dad. And then all of a sudden, I'm telling my kids not to use as much toilet paper as they use. I don't know why I said that. I'm not going to be like my dad, and I'm trying to figure out with, like, Inspector Clouseau, who changed the therm- thermostat in the, on the, in the hallway? Who, who touched this? Right? That's my dad. Anybody else have a dad like that? Yeah. I'm like, I'm never going to. And there are other ways. Those, those are pretty innocent, but there are other ways. And I'm going to be just like my family until I think about it. Here's the thing. I, I was a teacher for a season in life. I taught high school, and I was a teacher just like I was taught. I was a dad just like I saw my dad being. I was a husband just like the folks around me who I saw who were husbands. And every change had to require a certain amount of engagement and thinking. Here's the thing when you come to that. Which wisdom are you going to think through? What lens? My own? Paul writes and says that's speculative business at best. Am I going to go with the way the culture thinks? be so well adjusted that I just go along with the flow of the culture? The implication we've been talking about is that way ultimately will lead you to death and destruction. The only option for the person who's received the free gift of salvation really is to go with the wisdom of God because his wisdom is more wise and to go in the strength of God because his strength is stronger. But the truth is, is that sometimes we give up on God's wisdom and we settle for the world's way. We're going to have to adapt a new way of thinking. Number two, sometimes we followed our feelings as disciples instead of our faith. Can I be honest with you? Your feelings will lie to you. Your feelings will speak so loudly in the moment that you'll trade if you're not careful what you think you want because it's how you feel in the moment for what you really want if you were to step back and think about it. In the Bible, there's a great story of a guy who has a birthright promised to him, but he comes into a scenario and he's physically hungry and he literally, in the Bible, he gives up his long-term goal and destiny for a bowl of soup in the moment. Why did he do that? Because he was hungry. He felt like he wanted it and he traded what he wanted in the moment for what he wanted long-term. Your feelings will lie to you. The Bible actually says it this way, that, that your heart will deceive you now, I know that goes against culture. It goes against you know, Disney movies and, and popular rom-coms. Just follow your heart. The truth is, is that you're going to have to do more than just follow your heart. You're going to have to think about whether or not your heart is right and ultimately going to be reflective of the wisdom of God. And that's going to require a little bit of effort on your part. It isn't necessarily going to come natural to you. Romans chapter 8, verse 6. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. This way over here is life and peace. This way over here is death. Number three, we got, we, we've trusted ourselves and got ourselves into trouble when we did that more than sometimes we've trusted God. 
So a verse that I learned as a teenager, and I wish I would have lived up to it at all the moments of my life. And when I did, honestly, at this point, I'm old enough to know it helped me. Where I didn't, I know it hurt me. Proverbs chapter 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your paths straight. Trust the Lord. But sometimes I just know better, don't I? Sometimes I know better than the wisdom of God. Sometimes I know better than the wise, godly people around me speaking into my life. Sometimes I know better than that one contrarian friend who doesn't just go along with the way I feel. I tend to trust in myself But as followers of Jesus, as people who want what we want and ultimately what we really want to define success by, we've got to go with the way of God. So this is kind of the the downside. The upside, well, there's a lot to be gained. Salvation really is free. It didn't cost you anything. But with your relationship with Jesus, what you get is you get a God who comes alongside and he begins to work on you and work in you. And he puts you in environments. I don't know if you thought about this or not, but the very family you were born in, Now, this is sometimes a hard pill to swallow. God was involved in that. You weren't an accident. And for some of us, that's a very painful reality to think about. But God actually wants to use that pain to write a new story in your life. He'll actually redeem it. You'll actually find yourself at certain moments in your life, and I'm just now coming into some of this season, with some of the most painful moments of my my life, I see how God has used them for my good. This is the God we serve. This is the good way, the better way of doing family and relationships. So let's talk about a handful of the good ways that God wants to work on our life. And I think the right image to have in mind here is the image that the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament had in mind when he was writing to his people of his day about a very specific situation. But he uses an image that I think helps us understand our role as we live in a world torn between God's way and the world's way, life and death, health, peace, and destruction and torment. Here's what Jeremiah had to say in your message notes, chapter 6, verse 16. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you'll find rest for your souls. So you've come to some junction in life. You're in the crossroads. And now you've got to look. Which way do I go? And you're going to be pulled. You're going to be pulled over here, right, to the way of the world, the wisdom, the way that seems right, the way that naturally on the surface appeals but ultimately won't deliver, or the way that looks a little uphill, it's going to require a little effort on your part, a little honesty that stings perhaps, but ultimately it's going to put you in the right place. One leads to peace. Even Jeremiah picks up on that here. Find rest for your souls. It's the good way. Walk in it. So what's some of the good ways for our relationships? Now, a lot of this is going to apply to marriage, but you can apply it if you're a little loose with some of the, the words to virtually any relationship of value in your life, all right? So let's talk about number one. Here's the good way that God offers that might require some effort on your part. Number one, you're going to have to hurry home. Hurry home. I'm indebted to Andy Stanley and the ministry of North Point for a couple of these points. So if you want to do some research, take some next steps today and we'll send you a few links to some other tools. But number one, hurry home. Here's the truth. Your time, your time is demanded upon. You don't have all the time in the world to do all that you'd like to do. 
I don't, know of a need, I don't know of a single person in life that says, yep, I got abundant time. I can pretty much do what I want. I don't ever feel any hurry. I don't know of a single person who says that. It used to be that if you were a student in school, and we have some high school students in the room, we have some college students in the room, it used to be that there were certain seasons of life where it's like, you know, you just kind of went along. Not anymore, man. Everybody has demanding schedules. Everybody feels like, to some degree, they don't have enough time. So if that's you, you're like in a room full of people who feels the exact same way. But when it comes to your family, this idea of the conflict in schedule and the always being pulled apart in different directions is detrimental to the kind of family God wants to develop in your home. The truth is, is our schedules are going to have to change, and that requires a certain amount of effort and work on our part. And you don't have time to do all that you would like to do. You don't. So what choices are you going to make in your calendar so that your value for home and marriage shows up? Society's tendency is do your own thing. Go for yours. I know people who have a functional arrangement in their marriage. It goes something like this. You have your life. I have my life. We happen to live at the same address. That is not the path that God has for the families that he gave his one and only son for. He wants life done together, an honest relationship where there's a certain give and a certain take, but everybody in the family values time together as a high priority such that they're willing to adjust their calendars, get ahead of their calendars and make some time for it. But to do that is going to require some effort on your part. Some things are going to have to be left out so that you have enough time for your spouse. Some things are going to have to be left out so you have enough time for your kids. And even if you do it right, you may still feel the pressure. But over time, your calendar can set the trajectory of your life. In fact, if you want to know what your real values are, it's been said, look at your calendar for the last three months. Now, if you don't have one, that's kind of hard to do. So go back and kind of rework it and ask yourself, where have I invested significant time in the relationships that are deeply valuable to me? You know where that wisdom comes from? That's not Ben's best advice. This is not Oprah talk. Like even if you're not a follower of Jesus, it might work. But at the end of the day, this is the call to every disciple to put into practice the values that God calls his people to put into practice. And one of those is, is time is a gift. It's a resource. It's something that you're supposed to manage to make sure that the important things get done. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about some of the time choices you can make and how to make them and how to think through them so that what you really want to have happen, happens. I've been in ministry for 30 years. I did ministry in Florida. Let me tell you what, when when a pastor says they did ministry in Florida, let me tell you what I know about them. They've done a lot of funerals because people go there to die, man. It's wonderful. That sounds morbid, doesn't it? So if you go 30 minutes in from the coast, all around Florida, there's just like, they call that Redneckville. That's Florida. So the coast is awesome. But inside, it's all retiree communities. And I happened to do ministry there for a while. I loved it, by the way. It sounds like I didn't, but I loved it. But the challenge was, is that we had to do, like, I did dozens and dozens and dozens of funerals. Our church just had a lot of old people in it. And they died. And so I'd do these funerals, but I'd go to the hospital sometimes, and, and, and you've heard it said before, but I never heard one person beg for more time to do anything other than spend time with the people they love and spend time with their family and make investments differently than they had made it. And so the, the, good, the good news is for us, we get the wisdom of God that says time is something to be stewarded and managed so that you can make a decision today 
so that 20 years from now, your time is done different. And it could be that some of you are killing it on this point, and others of you, just this one point would begin to change the tone and the temperature of your home. And so I just want to ask you, are you willing to pay the price to do that? If so, we'll help you. That's what we're here for, to spur you on, to raise the truth, even uncomfortable truth, but then to come alongside you in practical encouragement. Number two, if you really want to thrive and do, do it God's way in your home, you're going to have to cultivate communication. You're going to have to cultivate communication. So Proverbs chapter 13, verse 17, a wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a trustworthy envoy brings healing. There's a way to communicate that actually brings healing and help to people but it's probably going to require a little bit of effort on your part. You might have to watch what you say. You might have to, on occasion, shut your mouth where it would normally be open. On occasion, you have to, may have to watch your tone where you might normally be free with you. On occasion, you might have to force yourself to tell all the truth, the final 1% of truth, where it might be natural to tell part of the truth. That's effort. That's work. You're going to have to work, for instance, in your family to be understood and to be understanding. It may not come natural. Here's some stats. In America today, it's said that the average couple spends about four minutes in communication a day. Four minutes. And most of that is transactional. Where do you need to be? What do you need to do? What do I need? It's not even about us. Interestingly, those people that are involved in social media spend 10 to 15 minutes a day. More time on social media. This is a problem. So you might have to make a choice. I clearly have time to communicate because I'm posting stuff, but I am not really spending any time communicating with my spouse. What if, what, what if, what if you just stop some of this and the texting on social or the, the social media engagement became texting to the spouse, words of encouragement, the reminder that I love you, the reminder that you're special to me? What if the same time investment was turned towards a healthier pursuit? I wonder what difference that might make in a handful, of, but it might cost you to do that. Communication is such a vital part of a healthy family. The Bible is just full and full and full of communication advice. It, it talks about the power of life and death is in the tongue. Death and life is in the power of the tongue. Just by the way you speak, you can bring life to things and you can kill things. James, a book in the Bible, Jesus' brother-in-law, or Jesus' uh, brother, um, writes about the power of the tongue, that it's like more powerful than a rudder on a ship. It can actually steer the whole direction of your life. And it could be that for some of us, the difference in our family in this next season of our life will be a function of a different way of communicating. And if you want to do that, we'll help you. We'll steer you in the right direction. We'll come alongside you and encourage you towards it. But communicating differently, cultivating healthy communication can make a profound difference in your family life, certainly in your marriage. Number three, Nourish romance. Now, this is specifically for married couples, but if you take romance and you talk about the intimacy and the closeness, we can talk about the intimacy between a parent and, a, and their child, uh, between siblings, but even in in-law relationships. The idea here is that in the marriage relationship, we talk about it in terms of romance. So Proverbs chapter 5, rejoice in the wife of your youth. May you ever be captivated by her love. So what started off so awesome is supposed to stay awesome all the way through. That's not the way it normally goes. But for it to go that way, it's going to have to take some effort and attention from you. Effort and attention. So nourish it. Throw another log on the fire. You know? 
pastor friend of mine said it this way, that the last time some of us ever heard the phrase, honey, lock the door and turn off the lights, was when her parents were in the driveway about to come in the door. And it could be that, you know, we need to rekindle some of that stuff. But when's the last time you made an investment of intimacy and closeness with your kids where you sit down and you just tried to hear their heart and you listened? Those kinds of choices made lead to life. That wisdom is not the wisdom of man. That's God's wisdom, the way he designed it. And when you do that stuff, you're honoring God. But ultimately, you're putting yourself on a path to go where deep down you really want to go anyway. You really do want to go that way. Let me share with you some romance killers, see if these have showed up in your marriage, all right? Overcommitment, anybody feel that way? You got to think through them. What are you committed to? There's conflict around money. So you have to think through what are our money values and how we're going to get where we want to go. There's selfishness. I've tried my best to get Jill to read those passages on selfishness. Love you, honey. There's interference from in-laws. There's unrealistic expectations. In our culture, there's all kinds of addiction issues. Listen, if you have some of that in your life, you're in the right place. We're here to help you with that. There's the grass is greener syndrome. The truth is it's not greener on the other side of the fence. And if it is, it's because the water bill is higher over there. They paid a higher price for it. There's business success and business failures that speak into the quality of relationships. All these things show up. But what you're going to have to do is if you want to go the way of life, the good path, the ancient path, the way God wants us to go, the way that brings peace and ultimately takes us where we want to go, is you're going to have to spend some time nourishing that intimacy in your family giving yourself to really listening and hearing the heart of the people that you're connected with. Number four, celebrate differences. Our culture tends to highlight differences and not celebrate them. The truth is, is that your spouse is not like you. Your kids are not exactly like you. You may see parts of yourself. There may be some similarity, but at the end of the day, it's the value we have for each other, even as we're different, that ultimately brings us together. It's what makes a church special. You bring a bunch of people together that are very different, but they focus on some things they have in common, a mission in Jesus, the fact that we're all recipients of grace, the fact that we all want to make a difference in people's lives, and then a group of people who are very different can come together and do something special. But when individuals start saying, mine and my way, and my way is more important than our shared way, that's where it shows up in problems in churches, the kind of things that, for a lot of us, left us painfully aware of how imperfect the church is. And the same thing happens in families. Yeah, your mom and dad were not alike. There was a lot of differences. And some of those differences were highlighted, highlighted versus celebrated. The truth is, is that none of us are fully compatible with anybody else. It takes incredible effort and work. And that's why the Bible talks about the value of each individual being made in the image of God and the specialness of the call of God upon each person. And in a marriage and in a family, you can partner together in a way that actually brings out the best in each other. It requires work. It won't come natural, but God promises he'll help us with it. Number five, finish together. You know, the Bible says in Malachi that God hates divorce. Let me, let me tell you why. The heart of God on this is not to go, oh, divorce. No, no. The heart of God in this is he knows the pain divorce brings into people's lives. He knows the pain sin brings. And he just, he hates the pain that his children experience when they don't go his way. God doesn't hate divorcees. He just doesn't like the pain that happens in fractured families. So he calls churches to speak with boldness and clarity about the values that are present 
or should be present in a disciple's life in hopes that they'll be pulled. He calls churches to pray and to serve and to open their doors for no matter how broken people are so they can come in and experience hope and renewal and broken chains, uh, chains being broken and fresh starts happening. But you're going to have to make a decision to finish together, to throw out the language that, that divorce is an option and to have a fresh commitment to one another. When you do that, you start building the kind of family dynamic that ultimately will lead you where you really deep down want to go. And then number six, trust God. Trust God. We're kind of back where we started here. Do you really deep down believe, do you really, that God's wisdom is better than yours? Do you really deep down believe that God has strength where you might not have it? This is what trusting God is all about. Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. I don't know about you. Maybe it's just my age. Maybe it's because some of my kids are stepping into adulthood, but I'm very aware that I do not have what it takes to have the family I want to have. But God does. And I want God to build my house. I've tried several things my way. And I'm learning more and more and more the preciousness that God has loved us enough to reveal to us in the pages of the Bible so much of his wisdom. And I'm learning that whatever price it feels like I'm having to pay to walk in that wisdom, that price is worth it because God's way leads to joy, to peace. It leads to all the values deep down that I really want. And I'm learning the painful price of what it is to walk in the wisdom of this world. I'm learning in a new way to trust God and I'm learning the joy of doing that in a community of people where we're spurring one another on to walk in the right way. Do you have some of those people in your life who'll call out in you the very things that God wants and help you to see when you're standing in that place and you're looking, you're at the crossroads like Jeremiah says, you have to figure out which way is the good way and which way is the bad way. Do you have some people in your life who'll help you see that and your own tendency to kind of go your own way? If not, man, that's what church is for. We won't do it perfectly. But one of the ways God uses the church in this world is he gives you a group of people who will spur you on, who will call out God's best in you and push you on your way. The whole reason we started this church 14 years ago is that we would have a place we can invite our friends to and we would say to them that God's way is better and we don't have all the wisdom you need and we don't have all the resources you need and we can't make your life perfect, but together we can walk towards God and over time we can see his hand show up in our life. We can, he can show us his glory. He can literally shine bright. And so we've developed all kinds of experiences and tools to use, food truck rallies and kids ministries, but really at the heart of it all, we just want to see God show up in families and do his work. We think it's a beautiful thing when a husband and wife together are walking in humility before God. We think it's a beautiful thing when a mom and dad in humility before God saying, I don't have it all, love their kids beyond their own ability. to, And they realize that God loves their kids more than they do. It's a beautiful thing. So in our church, when we hear messages like this, our fear is that we'd just be stirred and we'd feel some things, but we wouldn't do anything with it. So we developed a tool called Next Steps. If you call this church home, if you're our guest, if you'll grab out your Connect card, we'll actually take a few steps together on this device right here. You can follow along. It's your chance to say, all right, I've heard some things. I want to make some choices. And then we'll send you an email reminder about them. Here's the first one. 
It's next step A. It says, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. We've been talking about God's wisdom, but God's wisdom works best with God beside of you. It's the wisdom of God, but it's a relationship with God that comes alongside you. The Bible says that you can have a relationship with God very simply. It's just going to require a little bit of, of a swallowing of your pride. The Bible says that you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. But God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to give us a relationship with our heavenly father. And because of his death and resurrection, you and I can have life with God. Life with God that ultimately secures eternity and life with God that puts us on a different path now. If you'd like to do that, we'd ask you to take the pen, check next step A. And in a minute, we're going to pray. And I'm going to give you a chance to say, God, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I want to trust the work that Jesus has done on this cross and in the resurrection as the vehicle by which I can have a relationship with my heavenly father. And you can use your own words. You can borrow mine to do that. Maybe today your next step is you want to get baptized. We've baptized hundreds of people over 14 years. It's been amazing. And each one of them, not one of them was perfect. Each one of them, though, was serving a perfect God. And so maybe your decision today is you need to get baptized and go public with your faith. If so, check the box, put it in the offering bucket when it comes by. That's how we kind of kick off that dialogue and get that process started. Next step C refers to those groups that we've been talking about the small groups that are in the catalog. The simple way you sign up for these is you simply transfer the number of the small group to Next Step C. And if you don't have time to do it, just check the box. We'll send you a link with all of the small groups and you can do it in the privacy of your home. But it all begins with that one step of checking the box. Now, Next Step D is a prayer. I'd love for you to pray with me each morning this week. It's a prayer I'm praying for, for myself and for my family. It goes like this. Father, for myself and my family, help us to seek your wisdom to trust your wisdom, and to make decisions that reflect your wisdom instead of relying on ourselves, instead of relying on our history or what we've seen other people do. So God's, not the world's. And then bring peace to our family as we follow your good way. I'm going to pray that every morning so that as I'm going through my day, I can see more clearly, I hope, God's way versus the world's way, the way of life, the way of death. And if you'll check the box, I'll send you this prayer and you can join us. We'll pray it together. The next step, here's a very practical thing you can do. You can join us for the next four weeks of our God, family, and hustle as we get after with a certain amount of urgency, real challenges that exist in our families. A very practical way with wisdom from God's word. And I'll send you an email with some of the ways that we're going to be doing that and maybe help encourage you in that direction. Now, you can set that card aside. If you call this church home, this is your opportunity to support the work here financially that we're doing. If you're our guest, this time isn't for you. Your gift to us is your presence today, and we're really glad that you're here. There's some folks that are coming to receive your gifts today. So for folks who call us home, let me just be very clear and say thank you. So this morning I was reminded that some of you have been here for 14 years, like every Sunday, and your faithful giving and serving and prayer and just showing up through all the different locations we've been in has made a practical difference. I want to say very clearly to you, very, very clearly, I'm grateful for the investment you have made in this place. For 14 years, some of you, it's been, you know, only a few weeks. I'm grateful for you as well. Wherever you are in that range, let me tell you what's happening because of your faithfulness. You're literally seeing the destiny of families changed. That's not an exaggeration. We've seen marriages restored. We've seen marriages break, but each person find hope and healing after the fact. We've seen parents discover the power of parenting God's way. We've seen people find their purpose. We've literally seen chains break. 
<laughs> we've seen fear uh, be undone. We've seen God show up and show out. And it happened in part because of your faithful giving. So thank you. We're going to pray about our next steps and our, and our offering. And then after that, we're going to spend a few more minutes in prayer about something very special. So would you bow your heads with me right now? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, I pray that we would not rely on our own wisdom. We would not accept the wisdom of this world, but instead we would follow your wisdom. We would see your good way and we'd walk in it. God, I pray that today you would take our offering and our next steps and you would help them both to go farther than they would go on our own. Help the money to go farther. God, take us further in our journeys as we boldly step up to do what you've called us to do. Over the next few weeks, God, I pray that you would heal and restore marriages. I pray, Lord, that your life, the life-giving power of the Spirit would show up in families. I pray that darkness would be drawn back. In Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen and amen. Now, while the offering buckets are going around, you can give. You can put your next steps in there. I want to just chat with you for a second about families. So we really did start this church for families. And as I was talking to myself and to the staff and to the Lord about what we wanted to do today, we wanted to highlight the power of prayer. So you've heard some truth. Some of it may be hard to swallow. Some of it may surface some pain. I don't know any better way than to deal with all the tensions of wanting to but feeling like you can't or wanting to and feeling like you have a hundred times or wanting to but wondering if you're going to be the only one than to bathe the whole issue in prayer. So I'm going to give you an opportunity in a second. Don't do anything yet. One of two categories. If you're in a family and you, say, you have some opportunities in front of you and you know that it won't be maximized without God's power, we want to pray for you. And if you're in a family and there's some pain that hasn't yet been dealt with and it's still very alive in your life and it hurts, we want to pray for you. Opportunities and challenges. As a church, that's why we're here, to encourage you, to pray with you, to support you. So we don't do this a whole lot here and it's not about a show, but I would like in just a moment for everybody that would like to receive prayer for an opportunity or a challenge to stand where you are. Nobody's going to come and touch you. We're not going to whisper in your ear stuff. But the folks in this room are going to lift up before God your situation. And we're going to stand with you in solidarity. So if you need prayer for your family in any way, would you just stand right now all over the room? See, that's a bold act. You're declaring, God, I don't have it all, but I think you do. I want you to know this. The whole reason we exist as a church is for you. That's why we're here. It's our privilege to pray with you. So those of you that are sitting down, would you just look around the room real quick? Now, I said we would stand with them, so would you stand up too as well right now? Don't touch anybody. Don't whisper in their ear. Don't grab anybody and shake them. But we're all going to bow our heads right now. We're going to ask God to be with families, especially those that stood up. So would you pray with me right now, Father? It is our privilege to come to our great God. God, the truth is, is our families can be jacked up. There's a lot of pain and hurt, sometimes from our family of origin, sometimes from what we're going through right now. But you are the great healer. Father, would you even now by your spirit begin to heal families? God, there's some bitterness that needs to be unrooted. 
There's some discouragement, God, that has caused people to be uh, exhausted emotionally and physically with what they're going through. God, there are some problems so deeply seated that if those of us around it were to know it, we might even be afraid, scared for the per person that, that has that story in their life. But God, you're not caught off guard. You're not scared. In fact, you take delight in bringing healing and wholeness to our lives. So Father, to the best we know how, we open our hearts to you. Holy Spirit, show up in this place. Heal. God, there's some opportunities in front of us that without your power, without your spirit going before us, they aren't going to happen. There's some decisions to be made. There's some steps to be taken. And the truth is, is we don't have the wisdom and the strength to do it in ourselves. So we ask you, Father, to show up. Empower, strengthen, enlighten. God, I pray that you would quiet the voice of the enemy who speaks lies. That this would be a place where truth is reigning. God, would you, over the next few moments, over the next few weeks, would you heal our families, restore marriages, connect fathers' hearts to their children, give us the strength to make the decisions we need to make, make it clear to us. We pray it in the name of Jesus, God's strong and holy Son. Amen.